Sorry about that. Uh, you can get your worship guides out, follow along on Virgin if you'd like as well. Uh, we're going to be in a bunch of different texts, so I don't really have a, just one key text for this morning. We're uh, in the series God of the Underdogs, and this is our fourth installment, the continuation of uh, uh, just a great series to encourage us in our faith when all the odds are against us, knowing and seeing how God can be for us. And today... Um, how many were here last week, by the way? Just a show of hands, you were here last week. We talked about the lame man story. Good. And so some of you remember some of the, the uh, alliterative uh, power points, so to speak. Uh, one, is, uh, one of the ones that we talked about was uh, not placing blame, and the second one was not pulling up lame. Remember that one? Pulling up lame. Some of you remember. Uh, bonus points, stickers for these people. Um, pulling up lame really uh, referenced uh, kind of an important... Um, theological uh, interests that I wanted to kind of ride and piggyback on a little bit this morning. That is the importance of effort, our part in God's intervention in our life, that there's an effort involved. And there's a, just a tendency, and as I was demonstrating last week, rolling off the stage, uh, that uh, th- there's just this tendency for us to just kind of lie there and hope that God will kind of stir the waters in our life, but really we could roll right into them. Anybody know what I'm talking about now? Okay, so there's an effort involved. So I want to piggyback on that. I'll unpack a principle in just a few minutes. But the character that we'll reference uh, a little bit um, is, is David. David is one of my favorite Bible characters in, uh, the, in all the scriptures. Um, he's just one I particularly identify with and just enjoy. I've done a whole series on the life of David um, and uh, just studied him really closely. But I want to kind of talk about a positive side of David But first, let's just see it through the lens of reality. David, uh, for those of you who do know or don't know, um, he was um, this kind of ruddy, skitty little runt, this little, you know, Israelite who, um, one of seven sons, um, father, uh, Jesse had seven sons. He was kind of overlooked and overshadowed by his brothers. brothers, His brothers were all uh, soldiers in Saul's army, and David was the guy who got the kind of less than positive uh, job or role or responsibility of tending to the sheep. And so while they're off fighting battles and uh, receiving accolades and the glory of Israel, uh, David is back uh, shepherding sheep and, you know, writing little rhymes, busting rhymes in the valleys. And um, he, while his brothers were doing that, he... Um, the particular battle ensued with the Philistines and a particular giant, as you know, came out amongst, uh, from, the, from the ranks, Goliath, and, uh, and he began to deride and, and assault uh, verbally uh, the Israelites and challenge them. Well, that kind of spread throughout the land, and uh, Jesse uh, um, decided one day to send his uh, sons some cheese and some bread. So he sent David uh, to, the, to the front line, to the front lines to do that, and in essence, he was uh, given the, op- the opportunity or the responsibility of being a pizza delivery boy. So he was a sh- little shepherd boy, you know, dealing with sheep, and then he was a pizza delivery boy. Nothing against pizza delivery, by the way. It's a good way to make a living, I'm sure, for many of us. But uh, it was kind of a, a just, you know, just a, a low-ranking guy in his family and kind of the least in his, in his clan. And um, anyway, um, he eventually, somehow, miraculously, while he was there, though a you know, insulted by his brothers and, and uh, you know, seen, you know, through a, a different lens from his family. Inner family sometimes doesn't always see you through the best of eyes. Um, he amazingly gets audience with the king because uh, he 
was willing to challenge this, this Philistine. And he was, even though he's physically small and kind of the runt of the litter, he was rather confident. And he eventually, again, verbalized his desire to challenge the enemy, uh, gets an uh, opportunity to speak to Saul about it. And Saul, for some reason, allowed him to proceed, uh, you know, and tried to make him a soldier, tried to make him something that he was not, and give him his own uh, armor to fight this uh, Philistine. But Interestingly enough, even though he was young of age, even though he was kind of, uh, you know, less than in the eyes of many people, he, was, he did not succumb to the, um, the, the lens and through the, the vision of this king. He, he saw himself through the lens and the vision of his king. He had a confidence and an identity in God that was extraordinary. He knew that it wasn't going to be this armor or trying to be something that he's not that would defend him and take care of him. He knew that it was something that he had in his relationship with God. And he, um, he kind of uh, stood out amongst the ranks. David was the boy who believed. He was different. It's an amazing story, as you know, of a boy who defied the odds. And, and it's inspired a nation. It's inspired people. It's inspired you know, men and women alike for centuries now. But there's more to the story and some things behind the story that I need you to see and I need you to, uh, in order to, uh, you know, overcome some of the obstacles that we have in our life, and we all have them, face them every day. In this world, you have trouble, you know, God said. There's, there's, Jesus said that. It's not one of those favorite scriptures that we put on our refrigerators or bumper stickers on our car, but it's, it's still true. There'll be trouble. How do we overcome the problems? How do we overcome some of the difficult situations in our life when we all uh, have those underdog moments? And... Um, and this, this world's just filled with hostility and hostile enemies. And, and as a result, there can be countless excuses to, as to why we can't face this and why we can't overcome that and why we can't get over this or through this. And I want to talk about one uh, particular excuse in a second. But the Israelites back then are no different than the people of God today. Really, there's a lot of similar, similarities. And many then believed uh, and many now believe that God can do something about all these problems. God can fix this, and God can solve that, and God is powerful, and, and, and He is omnipotent, uh, and, and He can defeat the enemies in our lives and the obstacles in our lives, but oftentimes we don't see Him do it. And most, in fact, would say we don't see Him do it. And, and then we have this subconscious or conscious reply, why? Why? And so... You know, I believe we're all susceptible to this common excuse, and, and it keeps the intervention, this excuse, I believe, keeps the intervention of God uh, from our lives, intermittently or regularly from our lives, and, and this excuse will build uh, as we go forward, but here's the excuse, you can look in your notes, but I, I believe, this is what people, this is the excuse, I believe God can, I just don't understand why he won't. I, I believe you, God, I believe you're capable, but I don't understand why you won't. Get involved. I believe you're powerful. I believe you have power. I believe you can, but I don't understand why you won't. And here's our big idea today. God won't if you don't. God won't if you don't. And I'm going to pack a principle that um, I didn't quite see it my whole Christian life. Many years of my Christian life, I didn't see it. It caused a lot of confusion and problems for me. And I want to talk to you today about the principle of partnership. I don't know if that's in your notes. That's just kind of the, that's really what we're going to be talking about today in God of the Underdogs. David understood 
the principle of partnership. David was an underdog who overcame in spite of the odds, in spite of the things that were against him and opposed him. No matter how big the giant, every giant he faced fashioned him and prepared him for a new level, a new, uh, a new devil, a new uh, growth uh, you know, platform. And he understood that he needed to play a role in the process. He understood partnership. And so I want to give you three truths to the principle of partnership. And I'm going to share something with you in a second that you may think you understand, but I don't think, I, I venture to say many of you don't understand. And I don't mean that because I'm arrogant. I just mean that just because I think there's just some stuff we just don't see right away. And hopefully this helps somebody. The first point, the first principle in partnership is number one, God doesn't need you. <laughs> just hang on. For the whole ride, okay? God doesn't need you. When I was in cemetery, I mean seminary, um, they taught us that God, I'm just kidding, it can be really good and very helpful. Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't, okay? It just depends. Um, knowledge puffeth up, love buildeth up. So anyway, you guess it just depends sometimes on our heart and, and our expectation. But God, um, you know, was uh, kind of, in, when we were studying, God was presented as self-sufficient, as self-sustaining, as um, self-existent. In other words, he's, he's uh, we used to sing a song, the all-sufficient one. El Shaddai is, one, is, a, is another way to say all-sufficiency. Um, and so he, 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 he was in perfect relationship and perfect, perfectly content, perfect harmony. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, model relationship. And um, the, 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 they were qualitatively and quantitatively one. It's amazing the relationship that they had. And, and so we were taught this, you know, when, when I was in uh, seminary. And yet, I'm on vacation uh, this last summer and um, I'm getting some rest. And it was the longest vacation I've ever been on, by the way. And um, I remember my, my father he's t- had a lot of vacation time this year. And he was telling me just recently, he's, I said, Dad, are you, are you getting some rest? He, goes, he said, I am tired from rest. <laughs> he just had so much rest. I think that's funny. I don't care what you say. But uh, I was on vacation, and um, it, though it, I was reading a book, and this is kind of rare for me to read a book. Uh, I, I'm kind of a non-sedentary personality. I like to keep moving and doing stuff and achieving something and building sandcastles or digging to China and all that kind of stuff. And if I don't keep moving, you know, I'll, it's like a shark. I'll, I'll, I'll suffocate. So, um, but I, somehow I get, I get stopped and, and just started reading this book, and and. But when you stop, there's something wonderful about that. It's like, be still and know that I am God. I just, my, bo- my body and my mind start to still, and these things would start to surface from my spirit. And then every now and then, I just kind of close the book, and I just kind of talk to God and just listen. And, and uh, I can remember being on the beach, and the Lord speaking four words to me. And you can think this is crazy, and that's okay, but this is what happened. He spoke four words to me. And he said this. He said, Derek, I need you. I need you. And my first response was, you know, was that a bad taco? You know, that ate last night. Was that really God? And then my second response was uh, to remind God how theologically incorrect that was. <laughs> That's not a good idea <laughs> to do that. Um, and, and, um, and then he repeated it again. You know, Derek, I need you. And, and the more I pondered that, you know, it began to over time process that. It began to over time affect my theology. You know, theology, you know, the study of God by my, my, my study, my view, my perspective of God was changed when I began to process this word. And that's what kind of, uh, 
You know, a, a, a rhema word is, if you've ever heard of that term, it's like something that you just drops in your spirit. You might have read this something many, many times, heard something many, many times, and you see it the way it was intended to be seen. But prior to that, I just I, I wrestle with God about, you know, well, you said this, and you said that, like in Acts chapter 17, verse 25 in your notes, it says, nor is he worshipped, speaking about God, with men's hands as though he needed anything. Since he gives to all life, that's existence, breath, that's sustaining, and all things sufficiency. So, so God, you know, you're, you're self-sustaining, self-sufficient, self-existent. All this stuff is in you, right, 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 right? That's why point number two is so important. Number two, the point is, wow, he's moving quick today. Point number two is God decided to need you. So God doesn't need you, but God decided to need you and me. He decided to. He is uh, all, by, all sufficient. He, he doesn't need us to exist, but he decided to coexist with you and with me. In other words, he, needs, he, needed, uh, he chose to partner with us in order to get things done on the earth. He's limited his activity on the earth to our activity. Otherwise, otherwise nothing gets done. Nothing gets done. The newspapers will not get delivered. The good news has been printed, as I always used to say. There it is. Like at the end of, I used to be a paper boy, and that bundle was at the end of the driveway. The good news is printed. He's done his part. Now it's our part to deliver the good news. Are you tracking with me? Some of you are going to get this a little by little, okay? And that's okay. You know, it's like we used to sing the song, Sera. It's a different version of it. Whatever will be, will be. I'm dating myself. But that, that, no. The truth is that's not true. Whatever will be, will be. If we don't do something, some things will never happen. God decided to need us. He, he uh, doesn't need us, but he decided to need us. And we have thoughts and statements and different things that kind of come across our brain. You know, if God wants to change something, you know, it, it'll change. If, if, if it's his will, it'll get done. Uh, it's in his hands now. No. No, if, if you cooperate with him, it might actually be in your hands right now. Hmm, getting, I'm getting some quiet here. In other words, God works when you work. God moves when you move. It's a principle that he's established. Let me show you this in a place in the Bible. In, uh, early on, another character that we've all familiar with, Adam. Genesis chapter 2, it's in your notes, verse 19, I believe. It says... Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. Now, do you understand what's going on here? Adam named every single animal. I mean, he came up with the name Hippopotamus. I think God was like, oh, like rolled his eyes, you know, on some of the names that, you know, he, some of the names that rhinoceros and different things that Adam came up with. But he... He was a super intelligent being. Like, God doesn't create junk. Like, God is, you, you know, he, he created a genius. I mean, he, you know, we, when we were back in school, we used to, I can't remember all these different things, but we used to study the class, the order, the phylum, the species, all those. And, you know, all, somehow he didn't just have these random names. They all had classifications. Everything worked out just perfectly. They were all ordered, the plant world, the animal world, you know, the fungus world, all these. Somehow he had all that. He was genius. God created a genius. And, and what's interesting is, is he, he wouldn't, you know, again, why would he make a dummy if he wanted to coexist with someone? He, he doesn't want to talk to someone and they don't know what he's talking about. Hey, Adam, uh, you know, look at the spectrum of light in that sunset over there. Oh, yeah. 
No, I mean, he wanted somebody to engage, to interact with, to interrelate. And, and so uh, he wanted to have conversation. But here's the point. Could God have just come to Adam and said, hey, let me, let, let me tell you about these animals. You know, that, Adam, come here, come here, come here. That, see that long neck thing right over there? That's a giraffe, okay? You see that guy over there, you know, scratching his armpits? That, that's a gorilla, Okay? That, that, that's a lion over there, you know, be nice to him. And, oh that's, oh, that's a duck going overhead. And the bigger ones, those are geese. And, you know, and he goes on. He could have done that, but he didn't. Not because he doesn't have the power to do it, but because he lives within the principles that he sets. So he gave Adam the ability and the responsibility to do that. And he will never intervene when he's given us the ability or the responsibility to do something. This will unpack more as we go. He could have done it. He could have because of the power, but he won't because of the principle. God lives within the principles that he sets and that he creates, and the principle of partnership is a big one. Let me get a little deeper on the Adam thing. You know, um, think about this. If you can't have authority, this is kind of a mouthful, you can't have authority over something that you're not responsible for. You cannot have authority, dominion over something that you are not responsible for. If you know, if you know someone who has authority or that, that has authority in your life, it's because you see them as responsible. It's a fact. It's just the way it is. The lowest level of leadership is titled leadership, positional authority. It's the lowest level. It doesn't last, never lasts. You know, somebody's got a badge, you know, I'm the manager. Well, if that manager does a bad job, eventually that manager will not be the manager, and people do not respect that manager. Are you tracking with me? My, when, when my parents were, were um, I was going to say when they were growing up, when I was growing up, my parents would go out on a date, and I was the eldest in the house. And so they would, there was a certain age when I was left in charge. <laughs> And I can remember the, 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 the hesitancy of my parents because my sister who was three years younger than me could be more responsible at times than me who was older. And so my dad would reluctantly come and go, okay, Derek, Janelle, come into the room. Mom and dad are going to go out. We're going to be at this restaurant. Here's the phone number. You know, we'll be back at this time. Uh, Derek, <clears throat> Randy, you sure you want to do this? Um, Derek, um, you're in charge. Okay. And then he would pull out a coin from his pocket, and he had it pull out a quarter, and he'd say, son, I want to teach you something about authority. You want to be in charge? <laughs> yes, yes, I do, yes. Janelle, you're going down, you know, and I'd be like, my sister would be like, ah, you know, scared, and I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to get you after this. And he said, Derek, Derek, pay attention, pay attention. Say, see this coin? The first, the, the, this side of the coin is authority. This, this is the person who's in charge. But a coin, there's two sides to every coin. You can't have one without there. And he'd flip it over and he'd say, this side is responsibility. So you're in charge. But if something goes wrong, you're responsible. And I'm coming to you, buddy. <laughs> okay, Dad. Okay, Dad. You know, and my sister would be like, ha, 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 ha. All right? People listen to people who fulfill responsibility. Responsible people are always people with authority. I could go further, but here's another thing you can say about authority and, and responsibility is to have it, you have to be under it. To have it, you have to be under it. Who speaks into your life? You know, husband's like, you know, she doesn't listen to me. She doesn't call me master like Sarah did. Good luck with that. <laughs> See how that works out for you, you know? Maybe you need somebody who speaks into your life, and if she felt like you had somebody speaking into your life, 
you could speak into hers or whatever. We could go on all day about this. To have authority, you have to be responsible. Here's the point. God needed Adam not because he didn't have the power, but because of the principle. Here's another really amazing scripture. Mark chapter 6 through 5. Look in your notes. Mark 6, 5. Here's what, this is Jesus, right? This is crazy. It says, now he, Jesus, could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Now check this out. I don't know if you guys are catching this. He could not, Jesus, the Son of God, all-powerful, right? Bigger than Optimus Prime. Okay? We're talking God could not do a mighty work there. Another, let me translate, let me modernize this. If I said, hey guys, uh, in the third service, which someday we'll have, but in the third service, I said, Jesus is going to be here and he's going to be down after service to pray for people, okay? If anybody has a need, has a concern or whatever, a problem, whatever, um, anybody wants prayer, you guys come, all right? So let's say Jesus is here, it's the end of the third service. What he's saying in this scripture is, he couldn't do a mighty work there. He was there in the flesh, praying for people, laying hands on people, and he could not, Jesus could not do a mighty work there. Is everybody catching up now? Are we staying up late for the snack? It's crazy. So what's the, what's the deal here? It's not because of him. It's because of us. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we could ask or think. We love that part. Oh, that's a beautiful verse. You know, it's Poetry. But then it says, according to the power that's at work within us. God's power is unlimited, but we can limit his power. We can limit it. Jesus is limited not because he doesn't have it. He's limited because of the principle that he's chose to live within. He has created a world where he wants to partner and coexist with his people, and he can be shut down by our unbelief. Here's a question. Is there any area of your life you need a miracle in? Anybody need a miracle in their life, in some area of their life? Healing in some area of their life. You know, some, some intervention of God in some area of your life. Well, he, he, here's the deal. Can God do a miracle? Yes, he can. But he might not because of us. See, I don't like this teaching very much. Well, you know, we got to keep it real here. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to read something to you. Back to David, all right? Look at this. 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to be reading from verse 4 and following. Because I started in verse 1 last service and that went crazy. Um, another story, another time. Anyway, it says in verse 4, it says, And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on, on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders and now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spear weighed... 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. This is a big dude. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man. Remember this part. This comes into play many times in the message today. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. God works through people. If he is able to fight with me, kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Then Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, and they were dismayed and greatly, greatly afraid. So Saul, excuse me, uh, Goliath is this, he's like an antichrist. 
You say, is he the Antichrist? No, but he's, a, he's anti-God. He was speaking as if he was Satan. He was deriding the people of Israel. He was accusing the brethren. Uh, uh, he was, he was anti-God, clearly. And, and he's basically challenging them at, at every front. And, and um, so Satan is, is talking through him. And, and, and God at this time is in Israel. Israel believes in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they've seen and heard about powerful and miraculous interventions. But they're not understanding that God's power is limited by their faith. And so they're all frozen in fear. All of them with underdog spirits all over them even though they're the mightiest army serving the mightiest God that, uh, 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 of the universe. And he's, and, he's, and he's completely limited, hands tied by their lack of activity. And I would say this, I th- do you think Satan knew that? Do you think he was aware of this principle of partnership? Do you think Satan was aware that what God needs in order to intervene? I think he was. I think he was up there thinking, I got you now, God. I got you now. See this situation with Goliath? I've got this giant, and I've pulled him out from the ranks, and, I've, and, I, and I'm working through. I know you work through a man, so I'm going to work through a man. I'm going to work through the biggest man that I can possibly find. I've got you now. And, and I know that you partner with people. I know that your, your, your activity is limited to their faith. I've got you. I've got you now. There's not a man in all of Israel that will stand up against this giant. They'll stand up against me. You know what God said? God said, you're right. I don't have a man. I have a boy. I have a boy. I have a boy. You're right. And God's looking for people who believed in God. David was a boy who believed in God. Think about it. A boy. It's not based on your qualifications and all the things you have and your pedigree and all the amazing things you've done. It's all the amazing things God done and your recognition of the God that you serve, your identity in Christ, your relationship with God. David had been trained and schooled many, many days prior to this event. God could have just sent, could God have just sent a lightning bolt and, and hit the forehead of that giant and knocked him out? Yeah, he could have. Yes, because of his power, but no, because of the principle. Yes, because of his power, but no, because of the principle. Are you catching this? This will help you with every problem that you have if you can understand this principle. Try, I tried to do this. I tried to find a place in the Bible where God did not partner with people. I, I was going through all kinds. I was looking and I was reading this morning in my one-year Bible. I was reading Mark chapter 5. And I was reading about the, the woman with the issue of blood. You know, she was sick for many, many years. She gone to many, many, many doctors. And she, uh, Jesus is near, and she's, she reaches through the crowd, and she stretches, and she says to herself, if I could just touch, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. She activated. She drew virtue from Jesus because she understood this principle of partnership. I thought, yeah, that's an obvious one, God. I, 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 got, I got one. I remember the story when there were 185,000 uh, men destroyed by an angel of the Lord. What about that one? And then, then he says, look, look again. Look again, Derek. Go look to that scripture. And I looked back, and it said something to the effect that uh, because the king prayed, I will send my angel to destroy them. It's like, oh, you got me on that one. And I just kept going through one story after another and realizing that this principle of partnership is everywhere throughout the scriptures. It's like, you know, a modern example, and this is <laughs> maybe funny to you, but it's like chess. I was, uh, a while back, I was uh, viewed, flipping through the channels, and there was a chess match on TV. It was like on ESPN 200. <laughs> you know how ESPN 2 has the worst sports, and then it goes like, anyway. 
So, um, so it, it, it was on there, and, and I don't know a lot about chess, and I pray to God it never becomes an Olympic sport. But I, I'm watching this, and, and the guy makes his move, and as soon as he makes his move, he hits this button. You know, another, he hits like a clock or something like that. In other words, he's done, and what, what, the, what he's being telegraphed or communicated is, it's your move. It's your move. You're up next, buddy. You're up next. And I think that's um, what God is saying to you and what's saying to me. He moves when we move. Here's what gets me. A lot of people, we say things like this. I've been guilty of this. God, why don't you do something about my marriage? God, why don't you do something about my, my situation? Why don't you do something about my finances? Why don't you do something about my health? Why don't you move, God? And God's saying, I'll move when you move. I'll work when you work. We're saying, oh, God, I'm praying for a move of God. We need a move of God. And I think God's up there going, I'm waiting for a move of people. My wife thought that was funny. I think that's funny. I think God's saying, I'm looking for people who move. Like, we need people movers. All right? Those of you who are parents, you tried to instill this principle, this idea into the lives of your kids. You know, if you, if you want to be rewarded for something, you have to do something. Parents, any parents out there know what I'm talking about? Like, I mean, we'll have family meetings sometimes. Sit the kids all down and say, listen, to live here, suck air, take up space, have a roof over your head, continue to freely go in and out of the refrigerator at all times, at all points, 24 hours a day, you have to contribute in some small way. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's incredible. We all know that with them. Kids, sometimes, I remember as a kid, I used to pray, you know, God, why don't you help me with this test? I need, you know, I'm getting ready to go into the test. Life is a test, by the way, but I'm getting ready to go into the test, and I'm asking God to supernaturally download complex information that I did not study and perform a miracle, a mental miracle. You know, and then God's up there, I would be happy to help you with the test, but you stayed up all night playing whatever, poker with cookies with the guys. If you, if you had studied, I'll give you divine recall for that which you have studied. Are you guys tracking with me out there? We do stuff like this. Man says, I want to get a God, why don't you help me get a job? Well, if you, God's saying, if you weren't so lazy, have you read the Proverbs? What? No. It's because you're lazy. You need to get out there. Get your resume out there. Get talking to people. I know I'm hitting some nerves. Can, can I preach like this? Is it all right if I preach like this? Okay. You know, wife says, you know, God, well, you know, can you help me in my marriage? Can you help me with this dubber? You know what I mean? Like, he, have you seen him, God? God said, well, if you would honor him, then he'll rise to the level of your honor. Well, can you, can you help me with my wife? Can you help me with her? You know, what, what do I do about, maybe if you laid your life down for her like Christ laid his life down for the Christ, for, for, for the church. See, it's a partnership. It's everywhere. In this. Everybody say it's everywhere. everywhere. Couples say this all the time. Uh, why don't, God, why don't you bless me in my finances? This is a tough one. God's saying, stop stealing from me. You know, I always gets quiet on that one. God's, he's saying, there's a partnership. You go, I go. You work, I work. You move, I move. But what you don't understand sometimes is our part's not that big a deal. With finances, it's only this much, and God will bless all of this. If, 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 you, you, uh, anyway, we'll get into that. Here's the last point. Pray for the interpretation on that last part. 
So God doesn't need you. He decided to need you. You have to decide to need God. Number three, you have to decide to need God. It's not complicated, is it? You have to decide to need God. Now, I'm not talking about getting, giving your heart to Christ or getting saved or whatever. Uh, that God took the most complex thing in the universe and made it simple. You know, how can a sinful being have relationship with a perfect, majestic, pure, holy God by grace through faith? But for those of us who've already given our life to Christ... So, and we have, we'll have eternal relationship with him because of that. God's saying, in the life here and now, will you give your life over to Will you partner with me in your, in your business, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your finances, etc.? Here's what you need to know. Three things you need to know, okay? And in in how, how you decide to partner with God, how you decide to need God. Here's the first part. God is never going to do your part. God is never say that. God is never going to do my part. It's my, if he's given me the ability and the responsibility, then he's not going to do that for me. It's my, I have been given the ability and the responsibility to love my wife like Christ loved the church. So if I don't do that, he's not going to get involved in the other part. He's not going to do his part until I do my part. Are you guys tracking with me? So, so God, God wants us to do our part. He'll never do my part. God has blessed this church, for example. God's blessed our church. We have a healthy church. It's not a dying church. It's a growing church. Healthy churches grow. It's wonderful. We're blessed. But to continue to grow, we have to make room. So to make room in this facility, to do what we need to do, it's not going to happen just because we pray about it. We have to do our part. Everybody's like, is he setting me up for something? No, I'm just being honest with you. We all have to do our part, all right? It's the same way with, we're going to start another campus. We're going to launch another campus. In order for more souls to be reached and to be able to achieve the vision that God's given our church, in order for that to happen, we all have to do our part. It won't happen if we don't do our part. Everybody tracking? All right. Do you need God involved in your life? Yes. Then figure out what your part is and just do that. There was a lady, she was working in the nursery not too long ago, and she, she was complaining while she was praying. Anybody pray, complain? We do that a lot. You know what I mean? There's got to be a word for that, you know? Complaining? I don't know what to call it. Something like complaining, you know what I mean? My father says praying and thinking, he calls that prinking. So it's prinking and complaining. So this lady, she's complaining, and she's like, God, you know, I want to get married, and I want to find a husband, and why don't you help me find a husband? And, you know, here I am changing somebody else's kid's diaper, and I want to have my own baby. When are you getting me my own baby? Are you going to help me change diapers? And right then the Lord spoke to her and said, I am the Lord, I change not. <laughs> See, what I'm saying is there's just some things God's not going to get involved in. Here's the next part. Your part is never supernatural. This will help you. Your part is never supernatural. You are not supernatural. God is. Listen to this. The scripture doesn't say, you shall uh, see people recover and then lay hands on the sick. It says, you shall lay hands on the sick, your part, natural, and then they shall recover, God's part, supernatural. Are you tracking with me out there? So, So David had to sling the stone for the... God's the one who made it line up right where it needed to line up to drop the giant. Moses, next to the resurrection, the parting of the Red Sea is perhaps the most incredible, miraculous sign in the Bible. I don't, maybe you come up with something bigger than that, but I think it's a pretty big one. All Moses did was lift the stick. I could do that. Turn to your neighbor and say, you could do that. Lift the stick. Throw a stone. So there's a natural part. I want you to see it. It's really not that big a deal. The big deal is the supernatural part. But you have to do the natural part. You, you have to do your part. You have to do the natural part. And then God will do the supernatural part. Here's the next point. Your part always comes first. 
I'm just waiting on God. Well, God is just waiting on you. He's waiting on you. Check this out. You know, uh, again, they shall recover, you know, and, and then lay hands on them. No, you do your part first. You do your part first. God loved us first. I understand that. God already moved on the whole earth. He already moved on humanity. He already hit the button in chess, said, it's your move. So it's our move now. It's our responsibility. Whatever you bind on earth, we bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, will be loosed in heaven. Whatever, what does God need? He needs you. What does he need you to do? He needs you to decide to need him. Decide to get involved. If people get healed, it's because we pray for people. So uh, one guy came up to Oral Roberts one time, and Tim's story, I was actually there, this well-known evangelist and a, another huge giant of the faith, and I listened to this guy and said, how come you, I believe that God can heal people, how come you guys get used in miraculous signs and wonders all over the earth? Why do you guys get used in that? And they both responded, felt like it was in stereo, how many people have you prayed for? And the guy was like, well, not that many, and he kind of walked away. So we, if people are going to get healed, it's because we pray for them. It's an easy part. I can tell you story after story, I don't have time this morning where, I, where God was prompting me to do something and I didn't do it, and other times where I did, and things happened. And things happened just because I did my part. If people get saved, it's because we witness. If people's needs get met, it's because we meet them. If churches get built, it's because we did our part, and then God became a part of that process. Let me just wrap this up with Adam's story from Romans chapter 5. It talks about the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam, you may not realize this, is just kind of a, a big doctrinal idea, but it basically says that through one man's sin, we all are condemned. It's not an exciting piece of information, all right? I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but it's the truth. In John 3, it actually said we were condemned already. So you and I, born into the world, this is where our Catholic brothers and sisters and, and the, the Protestant faith, we have this in common. We believe in original sin. We're born condemned. We, we've inherited this. It's, a, it's, the, it's not the good kind of inheritance. And so Romans 5, it says, sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, eternal separation. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. So there's a first Adam who lost it all for us, and there's a second Adam, Jesus, who got it all back. Romans 5.18, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Now, before I knew this, I thought one person's sin condemns everybody. That doesn't seem very fair. I wouldn't want to admit that in church, in a public meeting, but by myself, I thought when I was growing up, that's not very fair. But then as I grew older in my faith, I began to see things the right way and as I began to read the Bible, understanding the character and the nature of God. You know what? If you, I think it's in your notes there, but anytime you read something in the Bible that you don't understand, it's because you don't understand. That's profound. That's deep. Is that deep? I mean, that is deep. It's because you don't understand. See, because God's good. God is just. God, God, everything in the word of God is true. If we don't understand it, it's because uh, our minds need to be renewed. It's because, uh, sometimes it's because we're deceived by sin. Sometimes religion, it can be a whole bunch of things that kind of uh, thwart uh, the reality and keep us from seeing things right. The truth is, it's not unfair. It's brilliant. It's actually brilliant. I'm going to tell you why, and I hope as I share this next thought you, with you, it dawns in you by the Holy Spirit where I'm going. Listen to this, listen to this thought, okay? Since it only took one man to lose it all, it only takes one man, again, to get it all, what? Back, right. 
This is what Romans 5 is talking about. The first Adam lost it all. The second Adam gets it all back. And, and since a man lost it, it was a man that had to get it back. Since a human lost it all, it was a human that had to get it all back. And so Satan once again thinks, I got you, I got you, I got you now. See, a human lost it all, God. What human is going to get this all back? And God says to Satan, oh, I'll tell you he's going to get it all back. Jesus is going to get it all back. Oh, wait a second, wait a second, Satan says. Wait a second, wait a second. He's not a human. God says, we'll make him one. Are you okay with that, Jesus? Yeah, I'm okay with that. You know what you got to do? Yes, I do know what I got to do. So you're going to do one big thing, and you're going to get it all back. One person, winner take all. Got it all back. It, it, but that's what happened. But for us to receive the merits of what he, that redemptive work, we, that, the, the promise that God made possible for all, it was a winner-take-all. It was, theologically, he redeemed everyone for all humanity. That one, that one battle won on the cross redeemed humanity. But humanity has to cooperate and receive what Jesus did. Do you guys get that? I hope this pops for you. I don't know if it's making sense. I think it's incredible when you think about it. I think it's brilliant. The Son of God became a man. The Son of God became an underdog for you and me and, and, and shows us how to overcome in this life and every problem and every situation. And because he gets this whole winner-take-all, the redemption of every person, it's a promise. It's for you and I. But here's the problem. We have to partner with God to receive that promise. And for some, some will forfeit the benefits of that promise because we won't partner. Some of us forfeit the miraculous intervention of God in this life because we won't partner with God. Will you stand on your feet and let me pray for you? Would you just close your eyes just for a minute? Let's just give a minute or more for the Holy Spirit to speak personally to each one of you. If he hasn't already, I pray that he does. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just honoring the person to your right and your left, or your front and behind. And where, where am I? It's a question you can ask yourself. Where am I not partnering with God? Where do I need the intervention of God in my life? And where am I not partnering with God? I want to cooperate with you, God. Show me where I need to cooperate with you. I need your intervention in my life. I need it in my finances. I need it in my body. I need it in my relationships. I need it in this problem, in the situation that I'm facing right now. God, would you show me so that you can get involved, God? Show me the natural part. Show me what I need to do. And show me... Show me how to do it. And I need to do it first. I need to do it quickly. I need to do my part first. Show me that, Lord. I pray you reveal it to every person, every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room. We need the intervention, the miraculous intervention of God. The Bible says those that know their God will do extraordinary works. I pray, Lord Jesus, for extraordinary works to explode in this church. In spite of the attacks and all the different things that come our way, more miraculous intervention of God, more damage in the enemy's camp than ever before will surface because of this principle being received and adopted. Show us, Lord God, how to walk in obedience, full-blown obedience to the work and the will of God. Give us, give us the heart of David, of the boy who believed God no matter what, who trusted in him, who was fearless in the face of giants, fearless.
if you're here today and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and he's knocking on the door of your heart, maybe you're here and you never made that initial connection to God. This is new to you, and, but yet you feel your heart might be pounding a little bit. You feel something different. And you're desperate. That's a good place to be. You're desperate and you need God. And you need to know him. You need to walk out of here knowing that he knows you. If that's you and you know he's talking to you, I'm not going to call you out and embarrass you, but if that's you, right where you are, you can have an altar call right in your seat. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, I need to know Jesus before I leave. God bless you, sister. Is there anybody else that says that's me? God bless you. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I see that hand. God bless you. Church, would you just pray this with me? And those who just raise your hand, just say, Jesus, I need you more than yesterday. I need you today. I need you right now. Come into my life. Be my Savior and my Lord. For those that are already saved, refresh, refresh my relationship with you. I want to be born again. And for some, again. God, I give you my life today. Take the wheel of it. And I choose to partner with you and cooperate with you. Whatever you say, to say yes. Let me pray for you. In Jesus' name, I thank you for the faith and I thank you for the effort that was exerted there. I pray, Lord, that they walk away changed from the inside out. Never the same, never the same. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap all over the room? Thank you for that. Hey, real quick, uh, mention this. Tonight, uh, 5.30, our spiritual family class downstairs in the lower auditorium, C101. We have food and child care. Just want you to know that. For those of you interested in Connect Scott Talent, hey, go sign up in the uh, registration area downstairs in uh, Guest Central. We can't wait to see the talent that's going to come out of this church on that special event. I look forward to seeing you guys uh, on the Lord's Day next Sunday or a small group nearby. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.